0: Hey everyone, welcome to this podcast brought to you by RaptorAid and hosted by me, Jimmy Hill. During the coronavirus lockdown, we decided to host some live interviews with raptor conservationists and experts from all over the world. The podcast you're about to listen to was recorded during the lockdown period live on Facebook, Apologies if some of it sounds a little bit disjointed and we go a little bit off track with questions from the audience, but hopefully you'll enjoy listening to your favourite expert right here on Raptor Rambles. In this interview, we talked to Ian Thompson, head of RSPB Scotland's investigations unit. The investigations unit of the RSPB do incredible work trying to fight the continued persecution of raptors across the British Isles. Sometimes it makes for unpleasant listening, but it's definitely a subject that needs tackling head on, and we thank Ian for taking the time to chat to us. right, do that later. How are we looking on here? right i think we can treat it as we are now streaming live so okay. let's just uh, let's just go with it um anyway thank you for joining me on on raptor aids page and i appreciate your time and yeah, sure. um, i always start the same way just getting people to introduce themselves and just explain a bit about what your role is um within the rspb that's what-
1: Of course, yeah. Well, I'm Ian Thompson. Um, I head RSPB's investigations work in Scotland. It's a role I've been doing now for, I think it's about eight years, and I was in the investigations team prior to that as well. So I've worked for RSPB investigations since 2006. Uh, Prior to that, I was a nature reserve warden for 15 years. So I'm very much, I'm a birder, and that's the direction I come to this from i've been a, a raptor enthusiast since i was at school back in the, the late 1970s early 80s i know i look a lot younger than that but uh, but um one of my earliest experiences uh, working with raptors was being having the great privilege of being taken to Um, a, a number of hen harrier nests in Aberdeenshire, nests that we'd actually located and told the raptor study group where they were and being taken on the trips to visit the chicks and finding that all of the nests had been destroyed over the previous weeks and days. And that sort of sickening memory has stuck with me for the last sort of nearly 40 years. And that plus the stuff we experience these days when we see hen harriers, golden eagles, red kites, whatever, shot, trapped, illegally poisoned, motivates me to try and get it stopped. And that's my job now.
0: Okay, so <laughs> how, the, in the RSPC, RSPB Investigations Team Scotland, how many, how many do you head up in that team? How big's the team?
1: I would be delighted to see just under 500, but it's not quite as many as that. I'm not going to be too specific, but there's there's never going to be enough of us, put it that oh, way. Sure. We, are, we are a small team, yeah. um, but we work with an army of volunteers that includes members of the public who are out and about using the countryside, whether for their daily exercise, dog walking, bird watching, hill walking, whatever, plus there are more formal sort of people who are engaged in things like Raptor Study Group workers. So. There are the more eyes and ears there are out there, the better. But in terms of formal members of my team, we're, we're a pretty small group, small but perfectly formed. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I I've got a
0: lot of respect for any the RSPB investigations team, both Scotland and England, where where I'm based. In terms of just touching on then the public aspect of things it was a question I was going to ask you about what people can do but before I ask that have you seen a big um sort of advancing in people well citizen power really or citizens not science but people yeah being a bit more aware about what's going on in the countryside and getting in touch and yeah supporting the work you do
1: Oh, very much so. I mean, I think comparing, I, w- I was fortunate to um, be at a conference back in February. It was actually the Scottish RAP Study Group's uh, 40th anniversary uh, conference. And afterwards, I uh, went out for a curry with a few folk there, including Dave Dick, who was one of my predecessors in, in heading up the Scottish team, Um, sort of 25, 30 years ago. He was heavily involved in this work. And... Nowadays, rather than an exchange of angry letters or waiting for something to appear in a newspaper days or weeks later on, we have the immediacy of social media, where you can very, very quickly get, you can put out news, you can get responses, you can challenge fake news misinformation, so we, we are operating in a, a, a sort of circumstances now where, where timelines are much, much shorter, but I think the other thing that's very, very clear is the amount of absolute guff, complete rubbish that there is posted about various aspects of raptors, raptor ecology, raptor crime. And it's possibly more difficult, if you'll pardon the phrase, to cut through the crap than it perhaps was a few years ago. So I think there are advantages nowadays, but there are also disadvantages. There is so much misinformation put out there um, by lots of different people coming from different different perspectives.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I suppose with the the advancement of... of um of social media, I always remember sitting down with a gamekeeper, not not far from me, a, a, a ridge line where there was three gamekeepers, um, two, should we say, naughty gamekeepers, one in the middle, very nice gamekeeper, uh, very welcoming. The other two were far from welcoming with me and mm. my raptor monitoring. And interestingly, I said to this chap one day, you know, about walking around and about, you know, the, the, possibilities of illegal activities taking place and, and he said well as far as I'm concerned Jimmy um, with the advent of, of mobile phones in the sense that the way they've advanced he said everyone's got a camera now and it was quite a good point he made you know I can be somewhere on my shoot and there's a footpath and he says someone can film me at all times so I suppose that's helped I, or you'd hope it's helped to some degree um, with the advance of technology but I know obviously some of the investigations you've been involved with even though you've had film footage it's it's and it's been cut and dry to to many people um that it it doesn't always work does it the film just even getting film footage
1: um depends what you mean work. I mean, this job has never been, for me at least, has never been about getting a gamekeeper who's earning 15 grand a month, or sorry, a year, should I say, 15 grand a month would be all right. but a gamekeeper who's earning 15 grand a year, this has never been about getting them into court Mm. or getting them into trouble. What I'd like them to do is stop. I'd like them to stop illegally killing birds of prey. So, as far as I'm concerned, while a court may decide that footage of an individual allegedly shooting a hen harrier off its nest or allegedly setting a pool trap may not be admissible, Um, it doesn't mean the incident didn't happen. And what I will do is I will ensure that the public, who have a right to know what is going on in our countryside, are informed Mm -hmm. of that, and I will publish that video. Um, Similarly, if I... Or my colleagues have fitted a 3,000 pound satellite transmitter, um, one of hundreds that have been fitted where we have proven reliability. And that doesn't apply across the board, but certainly most of the tags that we are using certainly are very reliable. If these birds are suddenly disappearing almost exclusively in areas intensively managed for grouse shooting, I will tell the public about it. So, yeah, technology has helped us. But let's just be absolutely clear that the the countryside, Scotland, the UK, it's not a huge country in the grand scheme of things. But there is a hell of a lot of open space. There is a hell of a lot of places where the public don't go. That tends to be when these incidents occur. There's not many members of the public out in the middle of the night with thermal imaging gear. And we know that's what's happening to some birds of prey. So... Um, while it's true yes people do carry cameras they do carry technology i've never been or very very rarely been sent a video by a member of the public of an individual doing something dodgy
0: okay yeah yeah so it doesn't so potentially it's yeah well like you say it's it's almost like you've got a a, yeah as, as as far advanced as as we or or the general public and people like yourself and people like me who've got an interest in in monitoring birds prey get then, the the other side say the people doing the the bad stuff are always going to be potentially a step ahead as well or or advancing so i can imagine it is yeah it's well i know first hand it's 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 difficult so do you in 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 scotland in in i know you're based in scotland but in uk as a as a whole as well do you see any because at the This year hasn't been a good a good year i don't think it's fair to say that the reports that you see on various blogs or 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 websites about sparrowhawk being found shark red kite Mm -hmm. being found poison kestrel you know even species like that 2020 doesn't seem to me like it's getting any better in in the uk but maybe again that is social media that you know you won't it's rammed in your face What's your stand on it for for, for 2020 at the moment?
1: I think what we can see is there's still bad stuff going on. And Mm. there is bad stuff going on that's not yet in the public domain and so on and so forth. But what's really important to stress is that the stuff that is publicised, the stuff that is found, is just a sample. Mm. It's a proportion. And more often than not, it's an unknown proportion of what's actually going on. So if somebody, for example, decides to shoot a buzzard, and that bird buzzard drops in front of him, is he going to leave it lying around for me to find or a member of the public to find? Of course not. He's just going—he's going to get rid of it, yeah. and the chances of that crime being discovered are very, very slim. And this is the problem. We—the phrase we overuse, but basically we haven't come up with a different one—is the tip of the iceberg. And it's only when you start looking at populations where there's a load of scientific work being done that looks at the constraints on populations. I'm thinking particularly birds like hen harrier, like red kite, like golden eagle, for example, that shows you what the main constraints on populations are, that you start to get an idea of the levels of persecution that are taking place. A good example, um, a few years ago uh, Scottish Government commissioned a review of the fates of satellite tagged golden eagles, yeah. and that was on the back of concerns that we and others had raised about the, the sort of suspicious disappearances of golden eagles in some areas of our uplands, and an incredibly well-researched, meticulous paper was produced and peer-reviewed and published by the Scottish Government and what that basically showed was that uh, around a third of young tagged Golden Eagles are disappearing suspiciously and almost exclusively in areas managed for driven grouse shooting. But that's just tagged Golden Eagles. It worked Mm -hmm. out at approximately four tagged Golden Eagles per year. Were disappearing suspiciously. But tag birds actually represent a pretty small proportion of the population. If you do a bit of extrapolation um, using sort of population modelling techniques and things like that, when you actually work out how many golden eagles are actually likely to be being illegally killed every year, the fingers, the fingers become absolutely eye-watering. Mm. And it makes Scotland. Or the uk comparable with notorious places like malta in terms of the amount of illegal killing of birds of prey that's going on we'll never find the bodies though because they're hidden in the vast open spaces of our countryside because people don't want them to be found
0: yeah i mean the, i mean the two the two things that i think of uh, obviously that the, the hen harry study that took place the, the um, that, that showed that we how how vastly short we were of, of hen harriers based on the habitat. Yes. Supposedly that, that we could support support pairs was was quite damning, and then I suppose on the flip side of that me- mentioning golden eagles, we when the national golden eagle survey was was completed and it and it showed a, a, a rise in pairs. The difficult thing is then you get the the parties that are anti sort of well, well don't don't agree i suppose yeah. with with what we're saying saying oh well look look this figure here is saying that golden eagles have gone up from i forget the exact figure but from 450 pairs to 520 or yeah 450. yeah yeah and, it, and it's kind of yeah like you say people don't want to actually read any further into the the science of
1: that's what- the problem no absolutely and, that, and that's actually a very good example because yeah the golden eagle population Showed, I think, a 15% increase over 10 years, which is absolutely good news. But as you suggest, once you start drilling down into the detail, you'll find that the population is doing fantastically well in the west and the north. If you look at the eastern highlands and the central highlands, still only about a third of home ranges, historic home ranges, are occupied by successfully breeding pairs. And in actual fact, those areas have actually regularly have the most productive golden eagles in the country, invariably raising two chicks per nest, whereas the ones on the ones in the west are averaging less than one, one per nest. And the level of persecution that must be going on to constrain that population so it's so stable in the northeast of Scotland, must be astonishing and in in many ways the level of persecution there is making up for the successes elsewhere yeah it's absolutely important that you do drill down and look at the data but people say well if these birds are being persecuted where are all the bodies well they're being burnt they're being buried etc etc they're hardly being left around are they
0: yeah yeah absolutely uh, so yeah is it like you say it is unfortunately it's just the the tip of the iceberg in terms of so in terms of the things just for people that might be a bit that might tune into this and, and be completely green with with what we're talking about what what sort of things are you having to deal with um in terms of what are the methods that, that are being used for, for persecuting birds of prey nowadays, or has it changed much? And yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that there have always been four main methods of targeting birds of prey, shooting, illegal use of traps, poisoning and destruction of nests. And those methods haven't changed, but certainly, um, techniques have evolved a little bit i mean for example the poisons that are used have evolved over the years as as more effective poisons have come on the market but then we've also seen the approach taken by the criminals change and this is again where in scotland perhaps and i i I mean no apologies for blowing scotland's trumpet but we are ahead of the game here compared to the rest of the uk round about, well, the beginning of 2012, we had a uh, vicarious liability legislation come in. And what that did was to make the landowners liable for the actions of their employee. So in other words, if an individual employed on in a sporting estate or a farm or whatever was illegally killing birds of prey and was convicted of doing so, the landowner could be convicted of the same offense. And while we all know the fines awarded for a lot of these these crimes in the courts, if somebody actually gets as far as getting to court, they're usually pretty the derisory.
0: Yeah.
1: This, for the first time, started. It wasn't Joe Blog's gamekeeper of whatever cottage. It was Lord this, Sir that, landowners' names starting being dragged through the media, and they don't like that publicity. And that was very clearly a good deterrent but it had to be coupled with something else because the deterrent is only useful if there is a chance of being caught and this is where satellite technology came in so let's go back to poisoning if you lay out a poison bait let's just say you get your dead rabbit you sprinkle it with an illegal poison and then something comes along as and eats it. If it's if it's a poison like carbofuran, which is by far the most regularly used poison, often the victim will drop dead straight away, almost in some cases on top of the bait. Let's just suppose that victim's wearing a satellite transmitter. Um, the people monitoring that satellite transmitter will think that bird has stopped moving. Mm-hmm. What's happened to it? We need to go and see her. We need to report it to the police and whatever. So to cut a long story short, the increasing use of satellite tags made poisoning much more detectable. And that coupled with vicarious liability led to a substantial drop off in the illegal use of poisoning in Scotland. So 10 years ago, we were invariably talking 30, 40, 50 detected incidents per year. Now we're talking single figures which is great. Poisoning is revolting. It's absolutely indiscriminate. It's not just buzzards, golden eagles, red kites. It's folks' cats. It's folks' dogs. Sometime, somewhere, a person would get poisoned, and that would just be horrendous. So it's really good that that has stopped. What has not stopped is persecution. And satellite tagging has not stopped persecution. And the reality is we haven't had a single person appear in court on the back of a satellite tag being a tagged bird being legally killed. Because now what's happening is they're using traps and they're using guns. You shoot a tagged bird, it drops in front of you. What are you going to do? Smash the tag so it stops transmitting. Or the actual act of shooting will destroy the tag. And that is why we're seeing birds wearing satellite tags that have been fantastically reliable, giving dot after dot after dot after dot, and then suddenly nothing. A sudden up cessation of transmissions, which is a pretty cl- Given that these tags are 98% reliable, that's a pretty clear indication, something catastrophic, such as laid shots passing through it has yeah. happened to that tag.
0: Yeah, and I, I was just thinking then when you when you were talking about um, you know when a, when a bird stops moving, ie on a, on a poison carcass. You know, you've highlighted, you know, 98% how reliable. But it's also worth putting out I'm I'm fortunate enough to be a member of the Highland Rat Study Group and met some wonderful people there. How skilled the people are that are monitoring these tags as well. Because I often, it annoys me when I see, you know, people slinging mud saying, oh, you know, it's all just a smoke screen and they, you know, they, they they don't know how to interpret these tags and i think this is this is absolute rubbish you know i've been lucky enough we held the nerve conference down mm. here in cheshire you know and we had a fabulous talk about the work of well it was more to do with golden eagles and wind farms actually but it was all sure. based on satellite tags and and it, it's incredible that the, the the skill that people have got understanding the birds you know that, that are in these study groups so that that's worth I think that's worth pointing out as well as how reliable the tags are then the people people that are on the other end of the computer like this are are equally as skilled in my in my opinion so
1: you're you're absolutely right the interesting thing is that those who are trying to decry satellite tagging are those who don't like what it's showing that's Mm -hmm. the bottom line and satellite tagging is shining a very bright light on areas where there continues to be to persecution and people don't like that and all they're doing is trying to shoot the messenger if you'll pardon the pun yeah so you're you're absolutely right there are now a pretty big number of different organizations uh, probably about a dozen i think organizations perhaps um maybe slightly less than that but round about between maybe 10 uh who have licenses to fit satellite tags now It's important to say they are licensed to do this. And this is an exceptionally rigorously scrutinized activity. It's not just some bloke fancies doing it for a bit of fun. There are only about a dozen people who are licensed to actually fit tags. So the tagger has to be licensed and the entire project has to be licensed. And those are all handled by the British Trust for Ornithology, who are delegated that authority by the government and the statutory nature conservation organisations. This is heavily scrutinised activity. And the interesting thing is, some of the people who question this are those who have vast amounts of activity that involves the killing of birds that is completely unlicensed, unregulated, and unaccountable. Uh, so the the hypocrisy is astonishing.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um I've got a couple of questions have have come in. I can't ignore them or forget them. Um someone's asked about the um I'll just scroll down, sorry. Uh, someone's asked about uh is it only countryside issues that you deal with or do you also deal with domestic issues, I suppose, that, being the RSPB, I suppose they relate to captive bird sort of issues? and.
1: Um, it was, it's an interesting question. So, I mean, our, our remit is we are interested and involved in all aspects of crime that uh, happens towards wild birds, and that can involve issues such as egg collecting, obviously. Um, It can involve finch trapping, which does still occur. Mm -hmm. It can involve illegal trade in endangered species. What we do, however, is we prioritize crimes where they are having a significant conservation impact. So in other words, the victims, the species that are the victims, are in small and vulnerable populations. And those are ones where there is a proven limiting impact of crime. So 30 years ago, um, I would probably right now, under normal circumstances, probably be looking which osprey nest tree to camp near to avoid the predations of egg collectors because that was a significant threat to the conservation state of all ospreys, maybe back in the 80s or 90s. Now, of course, our ospreys are doing very, very well, and egg collecting, fortunately, as a hobby, has dwindled markedly. And by far, the biggest conservation threat in the UK that we can deal with on a day-to-day basis is raptor persecution. Now, obviously, as an organisation... We are also heavily involved in campaigning to mitigate against the effects of of, uh, climate change and things like land use intensification, habitat destruction, for example. Um, So there are a whole range of issues that we are dealing with, but it's not just countryside issues per se, but um, obviously it's fairly high profile, but it is potentially having the most significant impact on our wild birds in terms of illegality.
0: Yeah, and I suppose I suppose coming back to the question I asked you before, which I could I can completely understand your answer about being you know not answering it directly about a team, but it's something that I often get with. With people and talking to me about say the RSPCA, if they, they might ring me up and say, Oh, i found an injured bird, I've rang the RSPCA up, they can't come out, they they're useless, might be a comment that they say. And I have to make the point that, well, you've got to remember, just because you see them as the RSPCA or the RSPB with their royal charter, they're still there's they're still only so much resources they can mm. apply to certain things. So We live near a local RSPCA wildlife hospital. I know the manager and I know they only have so many inspectors that can cover a huge area. So if you've got hundreds, if not thousands of people ringing up, then, yeah, I do feel for organisations sometimes when they, they come in for a bit of flack, whether it's the RSPB or the RSPCA um as an example because there is only a certain amount of resources do you and off the back of that do you does it annoy you at times when you might read i I know i've read in the past where people might say oh the rspb they're only interested in raptors because they're the sexy you know money-making species so to speak you might uh, feel free to turn around and say I've never heard anyone say that, to you. No, me. no,
1: no. I've I've heard it as well. But um, I mean, the reality is, it has never. Nobody ever heard of avocets, and the amount of work we've spent conserving birds like the avocets, Minsmere and places like that. Cyril Bunting's Dartford warblers, Stone Curlews, massive amount of campaigning work we're doing on seabirds, for example, Corn creeks okay. in the Western Isles. It's Again, raptors are, are one of these things that, that, are, that they seem to provoke emotions. Um, they provoke sides. It's a bit like wildlife crime in generally. I mean, I sit on various forums where, where we discuss wildlife crime, and everybody can condemn egg collectors and badger baiters and hair courses and all this sort of thing because they involve traveling criminals, people coming into an area doing bad stuff and going away again. Raptor persecution is different because raptor persecution is usually being carried out by local people, often as part of their employment. Now, I'm not seeing it is written into their contract that you will kill buzzards or golden eagles or whatever, but what may be written into their contract is that you will ensure there are as many pheasant or grouse or partridges available to be shot come the shooting season as possible, and there is either tangible or imagined pressure on that person to do so, and they will be driven to kill birds of prey. And the fact that the vast majority of detected persecution incidents and the vast majority of people who are convicted in the court for raptor persecution are linked to game bird shooting. And that that's the reality, and that's what makes it a little different and, of course, these lobbies have strong interests behind them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they, they, they complain. Nobody's ever had a go at us for tackling egg collectors when we were absolutely zealous about tackling egg collectors.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I suppose it all boils down to the, the vested interests and, and yeah, what's what's behind what's behind closed doors that the other people again not they don't look for, far enough into at the detail um, to understand what's going on. So in terms of, of you mentioned vicarious liability in Scotland being you know a bit more advanced in that, what do you? I, I, well, it's a bit of a, a difficult question really to ask. What do you see being the one of the big answers i i i'll let you know where i'm coming from I'm, i've not followed rap persecution for anywhere near as the length of time you have. that's because i'm younger ian by the way <laughs> <Of course. laughs> um but um i it's almost like it's sort of a, you've got this a trench down the middle and you've got neither side wants to give up you know an inch and it seems so crazy that it's going on. Raptor persecution is taking place. It, it, if you, you only have to look at 2020 now, the frustrating thing for someone like myself who is involved in raptor monitoring is that these organisations that, that support shooting interests and 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 also farming for some to some extent other interests, they don't just yeah, say, well, yeah, this is going on. We need to come out and we need to really work with... Cons- I'm not saying they don't, but mm. it, it just seems like it, it doesn't happen enough, really, for, for my liking, that they say, yeah, we the need- the,
1: the problem is, raptor persecution is a symptom. Um, and what it's a symptom of is unsustainable land management. And, yes, there is a trench down the middle, but actually what I'm trying to do, my work is about um, ensuring that species that are protected by law are protected. So that's, that's the black and white of it. But when you look at the bigger issue, I mentioned it's a symptom. Raptor persecution is a symptom of unsustainable land management, and it's linked to you know vast a a single species management over vast swathes of our uplands that are entirely focused on producing lots of grouse at numbers that even the shooting industry of 30 years ago would find eye-watering. There was a very highly respected uh, grouse moor expert called Peter Hudson who back in I think it was the early 90s who estimated that in order to make a driven grouse moor economically viable, I think it would have to be something like, it would have to have 60 grouse per square kilometre. Now that's a lot, a much, much more dense population of grouse than you would get in an unmanaged moor, but 60 grouse per square kilometre. Now we're seeing some moors with two, three, 400 grouse per square kilometre. And it's actually grouse farming that's yeah. going on in some of these areas. And the management is utterly ruthless. The density of traps, the amount of grit, medicated grit that we really don't know what impact that is having on ecosystems or other wildlife is deployed very close, at the grist mounds close, closely together. Muir burn, chucking lots of carbon up into the atmosphere, potentially contributing to water discoloration and flooding. Raptor persecution is just another aspect of that. If we could actually wind it back a little bit, where the business plans of grouse moor owners were set to work with nature as opposed to against it, then the conflict would disappear quite quickly. And this is one of the reasons why we've been campaigning for licensing of grouse moors where a license is dependent on legal and sustainable management. So it could be, for example, you have to produce an annual burning plan and stick to it. It could be that you have to have a proportion of ground that is uh, for forestry establishment, things like that. That, to me, looks like a sensible way forward. It's not about stopping grouse shooting. It's not about banning grouse shooting. It's not about the rural Armageddon that some people try to claim it is, is actually having a sensible way forward that can be good for conservation, but also good for those who want to undertake, undertake country sports.
0: I suppose it's, it, 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 just listening to that then, it's it's really a case of moving with the times, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. When you look at corral shooting um, and the way, I suppose, to some extent, the Uplands is managed In in the sense that, essentially, grouse shooting is 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 a social activity. I appreciate it. It creates revenue in in areas where there's there's few and far between jobs and, and. economic income um but it, it, it is moving with the times isn't it it's it's getting away from those days of all well, this is all my land i'll do what i want with it because i we always have for generations so mm. well actually we need to look at the bigger picture as you say the climate change and you know absolutely
1: i mean i would add renewables forestry nature conservation they also create jobs in rural areas and sustain communities And in actual fact, arguably in some cases create create more jobs per hectare in rural areas than employing five gamekeepers over a 10,000 acre grouse moor. So, you know, I'm not saying it should be one or the other, but what we have is a situation at the moment where you, I mean, I have had all manner of targeted abuse on social media for calling places ecological deserts. I absolutely 100% stand by that phrase. That yeah, you will exactly. go for a walk in some of these areas of our uplands, in Angus, and bits of Aberdeenshire and bits of the Borders and bits of South Lanarkshire, and I don't doubt bits of northern England. And they are bleak, almost devoid of the amount of wildlife you would see if you had a much more diverse habitat.
0: Yeah, well, I was only talking about this the other day, and I have to be careful what I say because I'm a farmer's son. Um, but there's a, there was a, I put it on Mark Avery's, I commented on Mark Avery's blog about, um, about some something, um, and dairy farming, you know, an 800 acre farm here that I know very well from a little boy, and it is a desert, it's a green desert now because it's it's all about mass production of milk, and that's the way the farmer has had to go to to create revenue but really we need to look at it and think well actually this isn't good for the it might be good that we get cheap milk at the end of it but the farmer has to work hard to get that yeah, cheap milk. yeah but it's not great for the environment it's really not great for the environment and you're right the same you, you go for a walk around there and you don't see anything really yeah. it's, a, it's a green desert so but
1: I, I think some of these claims about contribution to the economy are also vastly overinflated as well when you look at the amount of land that's that's managed exclusively for driven grouse shooting, and then the amount it contributes to the economy. Yes. you know, you you wouldn't. I, I think it's Mark Avery. I, I've I've heard Mark speaking often, and I've heard him say something along the lines of, "If driven grouse shooting didn't exist, you wouldn't invent it now." I, I cannot disagree with that.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, true. Uh, right, I'm conscious of time. You've answered one of the questions yep. there with, with with mentioning licensing, because one of the things I was going to ask you was what what's the way forward from your perspective personally, and and from potentially the RSPBs if you're allowed to mention it, and you, and you have basically that that licensing is is probably, well, is, is the way forward. And I'd, I'd agree with you, really. I don't think, you know, sensibly a ban is, is necessarily the answer, unless it carries on, and, and we, we, we still, you know, we still have the, the, the persecution issues.
1: Um, yes, yeah, so you, you've I tell, answered that. I'll tell you one thing. The status quo is not an option. Absolutely not an option. And, I mean, RSPB's position has been criticised from every direction you can think of. We are just uh, undergoing a consultation at the moment over looking at our position, trying to get as many views on board as we possibly can. That's included um, members. It's included other organisations as well. And uh, I think an announcement on... The results of that review are due in the autumn. But, but I mean, certainly from a personal perspective, I have, I have long advocated a position where licensing is, um, is is the best way forward. But equally, I, I, I absolutely understand those who have called for a ban on for, for driven grouse shooting because I see firsthand time and time again the impacts it's having. And yeah. showing no
0: sign of changing on its own. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can. Yeah, I can. I can completely understand the people who say enough is enough. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Um, okay. Just before we go, someone's asked another question. Well, um, oh, this actually is a question that I've been asked a few times um, lately. Is do, are, do you have any worries about obviously the current state of play? across the country with with lockdown, do you have any worries about persecution increasing or obviously we're not able, capable of doing anywhere near the monitoring that we would if we weren't in lockdown?
1: The short answer is yes, very much so. And just to expand on that, I mean, the closest experience we've got to this was the foot and mouth outbreak back in 2001 and there's some very good data from places like the Peak District, for example, that showed the the, the the goshawk population was absolutely cleaned out of bits of the Peak District. To bring it slightly more up to date, um, obviously in Scotland, we've been having this review of grouse moor management being undertaken by the Scottish government, this is called Werity Review, if you like,
0: yeah, yeah. It's been
1: happening over the two, last two or three years. Last year was absolutely awful for persecution in Scotland. There were some very well-known examples of grouse, uh, hen harriers caught in spring traps, golden eagle flying around with a trap hanging off its leg, satellite tagged birds disappearing. That is when the countryside was open. We've had a a suggestion, organizations, the Fire Brigade, Scottish Land and States and Moorland Association asking for voluntary restraint on Muirburn. People carried on burning.
0: Yeah,
1: we, Are we really naive enough to think that those who are focused purely on getting as many grouse as possible aren't going to be killing every potential predator they possibly can at the moment? Of course not.
0: There you go. Um, right. I can't finish on that because that is downbeat. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't finish that. So you know. once lo- once lockdown's over, Ian, what's going to be, What's your, I'm not going to say what your first job is, what's going to be your first jolly? Go on, tell us where you're going to go and get a good view
1: of, of something. Well, finish on a good note. tomorrow, I was actually supposed to be flying to Texas tomorrow. <sighs> To undertake two weeks hard birding in uh, Big Bend National Park, but that clearly isn't going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I said, I said, finish I on a good note. <laughs> no, 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 but, but, no, no, on, on a good note. Um... Well, funnily enough, just before this, just before we, we had this chat, so my first swallow of the year, um, oh, yeah. I'm using my um, my state-approved uh, walk a day to really get to know my local area much better. I live on the edge of a, a small village in the Scottish lowlands. There's a, a wee community woodland and the rest of it's farmland, and I've racked up 50 species in that habitat. Sorry, swallow's 51 since the end of March. So I'm looking forward to adding to that list with a few more summer migrants. I've had Osprey fly over here before, but as soon as lockdown is over, I will be out, hopefully, hope, we don't know how long this is going to last, but if it lasts another month or so, I hope that there will still be some hen harriers at Ness. We'll be looking forward to getting more satellite tags on more birds and, and yep. watching their travels because satellite tagging has not only revealed the bad, but it's also revealed some absolutely fascinating stories, things that really challenge our perceptions about what our birds do. So that that's what I look forward to.
0: Absolutely. Well, I've got a—I've got a feeling you're going to be a very, very
1: busy boy. So you probably need to enjoy, enjoy this lockdown a little bit before, yeah. I tell you, I've been as busy during it as I was before it, so, um, but, uh, no. <laughs>
0: All right, Ian White. Well, I, I'm conscious you need to be somewhere else in in a short while, so thank you very much for taking the time to uh, pleasure, to, Jimmy. To chat to us, you start. I will end this live stream. Hold on, and then uh, yeah. There we-